In Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 27, I want to look at just a few verses together this morning, verses 27 through 30. And really, when we, when we look at the passage we're about to, to look at, oftentimes what we'll do when we move into a Christmas season here at State College Assembly is we uh, will kind of pause whatever series we're in, or we'll wrap up a series we're in, and we'll set aside the next few weeks to focus on a specific series on Christmas. Well, this year I've decided for us as a church family just to continue forward in the Gospel of Mark, that we just continue in our study. There's some of the things we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks that bear on Christmas, and we'll, we'll certainly highlight that. Um, but I want to just continue in that series. And as we look at Mark chapter 8 this morning, we, we look in at just a small part of a conversation. We're going to look at the greater conversation uh, together with some other verses next week, but just a very small part of, of a conversation. And one thing you'll notice with this is that it's very similar to the world we live in, is that people are free and ready to offer their opinions. People love to offer their opinions on something. You've probably noticed that uh, in the world in which we live today. And imagine if you have a, a Facebook page. I, I probably about two years ago or so, I uh, just walked away from Facebook for a season, and I've kind of enjoyed not being on it. Um, but if you've been on Facebook, you'll notice that people love to offer their opinions. And they'll offer their opinions on your opinion, and just a number of opinions that will uh, be offered in the, in the news, even as we've been in this political season that we've really just come out of, uh, just a very free-flowing offering of opinions, and it just continues to happen. What we see in Jesus' day is that it really was no different, that people felt free to really freely offer their opinions. Looking with me, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So it mentioned that, that we are in a, a world where people freely offer their opinions, and that is really the same in, in Jesus' day. And that, it really just reminds us that people are people. In fact, I'll, I've had someone share with me a number of years ago that people are people and some go to church. That people are people. Doesn't matter where they're at, doesn't matter where you find them, doesn't matter what generation they've lived in or how many years ago, that people are people. And in this conversation that Jesus is having, that we're, we're seeing there's opinions that are being uh, said about Jesus. And where this conversation is taking place in Caesarea Philippi, we'll, we'll look at more details about this next week. If you're not with us next week, I would encourage you to grab the podcast and listen. It links into this morning. But Caesarea Philippi was a very religious, a pagan religious area. And so it's against this backdrop that Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, and he begins to ask them, he said, who do the people say I am? Verse 27. He says, what are the opinions of others about me? Who do people say that I am? And if you'll notice in verse 28, it says that they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. If you look in Matthew's account of this same conversation, they even say that some say you're Jeremiah. They were naming these, these really great names from, from Israel's history. And if you're familiar with the Gospels and, and really Jesus' opponents through the Gospels, you'll see that the disciples are being very generous and very kind in the names that they're presenting to Jesus. They're saying, well, some are saying that you are John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say that you're Jeremiah. You're one of the prophets. That you're someone sent from God. Those are very generous and very kind statements that they're offering. And what they're, what they're not presenting is some of the other things people are saying. 
At this point, Jesus has been called a false prophet. He's been called Satan himself. He's been called a drunkard, someone who hangs out with sinners. He's been labeled any number of names. So the disciples are being very generous in in the opinions of others that they're offering to Jesus. But he doesn't end the conversation there. Jesus never ends the conversation where it's merely just out there somewhere. Rather, he takes it and he makes it personal. He always takes truth and he makes it personal. He does that in our own lives. He does it with the Gospels. In the Gospels, and he does it with his disciples. Look in verse number 29. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? That Jesus always makes it personal. And really, this question that he's put to his disciples in this moment is probably the biggest test and the biggest question he has put to his, to his followers at this point. There's been other moments of faith. There's been other tests that have been presented to them. But this really is the biggest test that he's put in front of them because it's a matter of everything that he's been doing, everything that he's been revealing, even all of the lessons that they've missed. It's a culmination of that point to see have they really gotten it. Have they really gotten it to understand that I am the Son of God? And so Peter answers him. Peter answers him and he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone else. But notice after this confession in in verse 31, if you have your Bible open, you'll see it there. It says that Jesus began to teach them many things. Really, it would be more accurate to say he continued to teach them. He continued to reveal himself to them. He began to, to lay out to them that he would suffer, that he would die. We see later Peter, Peter uh, rebukes Jesus for that. But that in this moment, Jesus has, been, has revealed himself to the disciples. They, they get it. They understand it. And then Jesus continues to reveal himself to them. As I, as I look at this conversation that's taken place and as we peer into it this morning and look at these verses, I'm really reminded of how Jesus brings you and me continually to a place of answering that question, who do you say that I am? Because he always makes it personal. He always makes it personal. He always looks for application of his truth into our lives and that question of who do you say that I am. If you're here this morning and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, you've yet to come to a place of repentance, of turning from your sin and recognizing your need for Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the one who can take control of your life, then everything that God does in your life, everything through the working of His Holy Spirit in your life, everything that He does in your life is to bring you to a place of answering that question, who do you say that I am? that he's continually trying to draw individuals to him. But if you're a Christian this morning, if you have made that decision, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you, you make a choice, you're living for him each day, then I don't believe answering that question, who do you say I am, is a one-time event in our lives. Rather, I believe that it's an ongoing event that we continually uh, will face and it's a question that we'll continually answer. That you come to a place of faith, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you begin to go forward in life, and you begin to make choices aligning your life with that decision of who Jesus is, of who you've said he is. But then when you come to places in life that that you're you're forced to really re-answer that question, who do you say that I am? And some of those places might be moments and and crisis in your life when it comes up and you're not sure what to do, you're not sure where to go, you're not sure what the answer is, that it's in those moments we have a choice to say, who do we say Jesus is? Do we still say he's in control? Do we still say he's faithful? Do we still say that, that he's a savior? 
Perhaps there's a matter, there's a decision that, that you have entrusted God with. Perhaps it's a relational decision that you've trusted God with. You've given it to him. And the longer you wait and the longer the answer doesn't come, the more you're challenged to re-answer that question. Who do you say I am? Is it a matter of taking things back and saying, I say that you're in control of every area but this? Or is it a matter of continuing to trust him and say, I still say that you're in control? When it comes to our finances, what we've just done by way of giving and tithe and offering is a statement, it's a declaration of who we say Jesus is. That we say he's in control of every part of our lives. I even think that we're forced to answer that question when blessings come and when prosperity comes in our lives. That when God blesses those who, who follow him, who do we say that he is? Do we continue to say that he's our provider, even in, when, when things are abundant and when things are good? See, answering that question, who do you say that I am, is a continual question that I believe we continue to go through life, the life's journey applying into our lives. Not that we keep coming back to a place of salvation, but, but rather it's a continued application of who we say Jesus is into our own personal lives. It's a decision to continue to put Jesus first in every place and in every area. Um, once a month with, with the pastors, we'll pull aside and, and really set aside a Thursday that we'll continue to, to talk. We meet on a weekly basis, but once a month, we'll set aside a, a protracted amount of time. We'll go through a good part of the day, and we'll, we'll talk about some of the things that God's doing in the church. We'll talk about strategy. We'll talk about a number of things uh, farther ahead. But usually in those moments, I'll, we'll pause, and I'll just take time, and I'll say, I just want to hear what's God been speaking to you. How has he been revealing himself to you? And, and in those moments, it really has been a, a time of answering that question, who do you say that I am? Who has God been revealing himself to you as in the recent weeks or in the recent time that you've been reading and studying and just in your own personal life and your own personal application? And so I've asked the, the, the pastors on the team this morning to, to help me in and to really fill out this morning as we look at that question, who do you say that I am? And just to take some time to share about how God has been challenging them, how he's been stretching them, and how he's been revealing himself to them. So I'm going to invite each one of the pastors to come and to join me. And then we're just going to take some time to have a conversation. And really, I think what we're going to do is have a conversation and, and give you a chance just to listen in, just to be able to hear how God has been challenging us and stretching us in this area. So let me ask you this, guys. You've, you've been listening to um, what I'm sharing, and I've given you a bit of a heads up of what we're, what we're talking about. But as this conversation, or this, this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples, how he takes it and he, he makes it personal in our own lives, he asks the question, who do you say that I am? Um, I shared with you just to take time and look in your own lives as how he has been challenging you and stretching you in that. So I'd just love to open it up and, and ask you guys just to begin to share who, who do you say Jesus is as he's been speaking into your life in perhaps the recent season or the, the recent weeks? That awkward moment, who goes first? So I'll, I'll jump in. And, uh, you know, as you were sharing, Pastor, I got to admit, the first thing that crossed my mind is how many people in this room would say uh, he's a Penn State fan this week? Just had to throw that out there. I, I wondered. I wondered. Um, no, for me, uh, I come back to this place. Um, I went to Genesis chapter, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 22, uh, beginning in verse 13. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. 
And, and I think about uh, several different areas of my life where God has just provided abundantly. And, you know, you mentioned that moment. We all come to that place. He's all drawing us to that moment where we put him as Lord of, of our lives. And he, he becomes that. And that's, that's the, the first thought that comes to mind is he provides for our salvation. And all of the things necessary to restore our relationship with God. And, you know, as a minister, I am so thankful that the sacrifice system is no longer in place because I have a very weak stomach. <laughs> I would not be in ministry if, uh, if, that, were the, uh, if that were the case. Um, but he does. He provides for every need. And, and in that, there's so many different elements. And uh, personally, over the last several weeks, just my, my own personal worship, corporate worship, what, what does that mean? And, and God's just revealing to me different areas of my life where, where worship uh, is coming into place. But but then beyond that, you know, you, you talk about how in different seasons uh, he becomes what we need him to be, and he fills all of those needs. And I think about Philippians 4, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, at, at the moment I have all I need and more, I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. And I think about needs being met in different stages of our life. We're in different places. Uh, most of us have transitioned moving over the last couple of years our job situations have changed god's brought us here and and that's been fantastic but if you've never packed up and moved across country you, there are needs that come up and there are uncertainties and in those moments uh jill and i had to draw on each other and keep reminding each other that god has it sorted god has it sorted we heard that this morning in that in that word god says i've got this and as, as, as that was shared, I, I, had to, I had to capture that in a moment, that, that really in those moments when we're struggling, God has it all sorted. And, and you come to that point where, okay, well, we're, we're grown men, we have families, uh, whatever your situation, but there are still moments where, you know, the uncertainty comes up. And so God revealed himself over the last couple of years as uh, the one who takes care of all of our needs and, and meets every one of them. And that's been, that's been uh, just a recurring thing in my life, in my family's life, and just enjoyed watching him meet all those needs. And, and then beyond that, and you guys can jump in any time here. <laughs> no, the, 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 the third area, because I think we do recognize, we look around the country that we live in, the situation that we're in, um, that beyond our needs... I mean, you know, when, when the finances were at the end and God hit a need, beyond that, he blesses us. And so if I think about God's provision and our salvation in meeting our needs, then there's blessings beyond that. Ephesians 3 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's got abundant blessings. In, in a couple of weeks, many of us will be blessing others and receiving blessings, and that's over and above anything that we've been promised. And so I just I see him not only meeting those those needs, but then the blessing above and beyond that. And and that's that's where I think the, the next area that God's leading me is he has abundant resources, abundant resources that we can tap into and pray for. And he chooses uh, when and where, but 
he's got him, and we can trust him in that. God has it sorted. So as you, as you began to ask that question of us, who, who do we say God is? Who, who is he speaking? How is he speaking to us in these moments? This is, this is where I went. He, he provides in, in all aspects. Mm. That's good. This is really good. And that really comes into play when you're at a point in your life when you have nothing or you're at a spot where you don't have a job. Oh, yeah. Like I've experienced, and it's, it's in those moments when you, when you can't really, you're, where God kind of takes away everything, where I can't really provide for myself, but God's like, I got it. And so and I think it's just in those moments in a different, I'm sure many of us in the room here can, can um, say different moments when, I didn't know how this was going to work, but God has come through. And so it just continued, God's continued faithfulness in those moments. It, it's, it's funny, you know, we, we get to interact on a daily basis in the office and the parallels in different areas of our lives that we can say, hey, this happened and yeah, I've been there. And, and that's how we strengthen and encourage one another. That's good. And I think even, um, you kind of touched on this too, but when we, we talk about him being our provider, that it is one thing to say he's our provider when, when our hands are full. But it's another thing to say, God, you're still my provider when my hands are empty or when I don't see the next step or when I don't know what to do. But, but to say, I still say that you're my provider and that you're faithful. That's good. That, that grows our faith. It stretches mm-hmm. our faith. God, yeah. give me more faith. Okay, well, let me put you in a situation <laughs> where you have to rely on me. That's good. I was reading um, in this past week in Romans 4, and it's about Abraham, and you're referencing that, but it says that there was a point when God had given him the promise, but it said, without weakening in faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. But he said, regardless of what the outward circumstances are, it's not going to affect my faith in who you are. And um, again, just kind of with what you've touched on, that's very good. Anybody else want to comment on, on Pastor Paul's? Well, go ahead and share. <laughs> I'd like to say this morning, who do I say Jesus is? And this past year has been uh, ups and downs for me and my family. And this, I would say, Jesus is my peace. In Mark chapter 4, verse 39, the disciples were in a boat with Jesus. And a storm came up, and they were taken on water. They were about to sink, and Jesus is in the back sleeping. And they didn't know what to do, so they went and woke him up. They cried out to him. And then Jesus came calmed the storm, and brought peace. A little over a year ago, uh, I received a call at about 11 p.m. One of those calls you never want to receive. Uh, My boss was calling me to inform me, hey, you no longer have a job in the morning. I need you to come in and turn all of your equipment in, turn your truck in. You just never want to receive one of those phone calls. It's it's a bit disturbing. And um, I would say that my world could have been shaken. I'll say could have been. So a lot went through my mind. What am I going to do? How am I going to provide for my family? We're up here away from family. All of our families in Texas. What are, what are we going to do? Thankfully. Thankfully, I have a loving wife. And we sought Jesus. I called Pastor and I called some close family friends that, that I knew would pray with us and stand with us and believe for us. And as a result, it wasn't easy, but as a result, I had peace. I don't remember in this, the whole time 
of being unemployed to breaking down and, and crying or being in a, a fit of despair. I mean, I had some up and downs, sure, but I don't remember ever just giving over to doubt and faithlessness. As a result of looking to him, looking to Jesus, I had peace. You know, the world would say, what are you going to do? How are you going to provide? And it's, it's everything pointing at you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it just never, it never stopped. You know, family in Texas kind of really belittling you, saying you need to come back. Hey, we'll give you a job if you come right back. Come back. We have something for you. But still, we knew we were supposed to be here. Therefore, we had peace. No one likes the bank account going pretty much empty and the savings just wiped out. But we had peace. No one likes to downsize. But I have peace in that. So it took, it took about eight months to get an interview. No one would interview me. The very first interview was just for a temporary job that would only last three weeks. And I was saying, this isn't it. But I have peace. I have peace. A few weeks after that, I had a friend in church here that uh, said, hey, uh, can I forward your resume to a friend I know? Immediately, immediately, I got an interview. And it's hard to get an interview there at Penn State. Now, I didn't get the job, you know, right then. I had to be a little more patient and learn patience in that. But what's amazing is that when I walked into the interview, before I even had a chance to really even say my name, the guy giving the interview said, hey, I really like your church. And let me tell you how much more peace I had when I had a a brother in Christ tell me, hey, I like your church. I can just see God's hand just leading and directing everything that we went through. I have peace. He is in control. He is in control. Nothing ever sneaks up on God. Nothing ever sneaks up on God. Therefore, I will not fear, and I will trust in him, for he is my peace. Keeping my eyes on Jesus, the one who controls it all, helps me realize it was going to be okay. Now, I can't say that Jesus calmed the storm, but he was there with me. He was there holding my hand in all of it. And his word, came to, his word came true when his word said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, never leave you alone. He is my peace. And I know the thoughts I think toward you, declares the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, and to give you an expected end. Today, he is my peace. He was ever faithful he was ever faithful with provisions. Provisions would come out of nowhere. He was faithful. And he is my peace. That <laughs> <laughs> is really good. Um,
I think oftentimes Eric and Melissa lead our children's ministry, and a lot of times people don't know the, the backstory on, on kind of what you'd walked through the last year or so, but to be able to say just that, that he is your peace in all moments is powerful. It really is powerful. Um, I think it, it, gives, it gives meaning to where Jesus describes himself as the Prince of Peace, and that he, just, he ruled over every part of your life in peace. It was very good, really good. And I, I was thinking of, in Galatians 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. And, and that's a peace that goes beyond. I mean, there are moments when things are good, and it's Sunday afternoon, and we have peace in front of the television or wherever that moment is. But the peace that comes in the difficult times, that's, that's a gift of the Spirit. That's a work of the Spirit in our lives, to have peace when everyone else would be struggling in that moment. That's true. Very good. Good. Someone else. Uh, for me, first I'll just say, that as Eric was talking about peace, um, nothing else in this world will provide the peace that Jesus can bring. Um, and, and that's something that I absolutely love. There's been times since Rachel and I have been here that we've gone through stuff where, you know, our bank accounts, savings, checking, everything was literally completely empty and we were negative in both. But Rachel and I had peace, as you were talking about, because we knew, we, were, we said, God, you called us here. We know you're going to provide, and he does. And even though people around us that don't know Jesus would be freaking out, and they're asking, how on earth are you staying calm? Jesus is my peace. It's an opportunity for us to share the gospel with somebody, to say, I don't care about the craziness that's going on around me. I don't care about the presidential election that's going on, because Jesus is my peace. And I trust in him. And uh, I would encourage you, when you have those moments, grasp hold of them and reach out. Uh, but for me, when you asked the question, the first thing that popped into my mind of uh, Jesus asking, who do you say I am? Uh, the first thing that came to me was, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my king. And um, that, that's something that he's been speaking to me on and off for a long time. And that's something that I've really discovered he does with me. He'll speak the same thing for a very long period of time. And sometimes it gets boring, but he's just reminding me, you need to learn this. Jesus is my king. Uh, and that's something that I think we've really lost sight of in our culture, especially in America. We've never had a king. We don't understand what it means to be in a kingdom. We don't understand what it means to serve a king, to serve royalty. And, and it's very different from what we have today. It's very different from a democracy. Today, if we're told to do something, we kind of take it upon ourselves to judge it in our mind, to see if it's sound, to see if we should do it, and then decide to go. But if it was a kingdom and a king told you to do it, you didn't question. You didn't dare question King David in the Old Testament if he told you, you need to lead this battalion of troops into this section and, and defeat the enemy. You just went. You did not question. And that's what it, was, what it means to serve a king. And that's what God has been speaking to me, discipline and obedience. As servants of Christ, we are called to walk in discipline to his commandments and obedience to them because he's our king. And we can trust that as the king of kings, he knows what he's doing. He has our best interests in mind. He's going to provide for us when we don't have the provisions to do so. He's going to be our peace in the midst of whatever he commands us to do. 
but we walk in discipline and obedience to what he tells us. And that's what God has been really challenging me with, because discipline, even just getting up on time, is something that I really struggle with. And, and he's just been challenging me with, you need to walk in discipline and obedience to everything that is in my word, to everything I speak to you, and you will grow tremendously through it, because he's our king. That's good. And I think with that too, we will use the phrase, and sometimes it's the it's church language that we'll come up with, but we'll say, well, you need to make Jesus your Savior and Lord. And, um, and sometimes we can lose the, the application or the full implication of that in our lives. And when we think of Savior, to think of someone who is rescuing us. And when we think of Lord, someone who is absolutely in complete in control. And that's where he's king, that he's unrivaled, that there is no rival, there is no second, there, it's, it's him. And it's him alone, that he is king, he's the Lord, he's in control. So... Oh, and, and you just made me think of this. Something else that I think we often forget as, as Christians and as servants of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our King, is that when he commands us to do something, we are not walking in it by ourselves. We are walking in it in the authority of the King who sent us. So when we go to do something, we're doing it in the name of King Jesus, which means that nothing can stand in our way, that nothing can stop us because we have the ultimate authority backing us up. And, and so we don't have to be afraid if we're not going to have enough. We don't have to be afraid if we're going to lose everything we have or, or not have peace because we have the authority of him behind us. He's going to provide for us in all things. And Jesus is king. So That's good. It's very good. As I've been thinking through the, the question, who do I say that Jesus is, the, the word that came to me, was Savior. And it's kind of easy to, to think of Savior as when someone who doesn't know Christ, someone who doesn't know Jesus is far away. We need a Savior. But he's a Savior for us who've been in the church, maybe even all of our lives, or somewhere in between, you know, since last Sunday or, or sometime, that just realizing that maybe we don't, we're often and many times throughout life, we're going to not get everything right. We're going to not, you know, we might not do everything we feel like God might have led us to, to, to do. And it's not beating up ourselves or, or, or wondering about our salvation if, if we lose it, but letting God really um, speak to us here and now. I was just reading in a, in a book last night, um, even after I had thought about this, and, and this is, this is a, I was reading it, and I'm like, oh, this was me. I remember being in high school, just wondering. Um, I truly, I, I truly loved the Lord, I, and, and I was serving him, but I just felt like there was these things that, that there was these voices in my head that would just really uh, make me question if, if God loved me or if I loved him because of maybe certain actions I was taking. But, um, God just wants to speak peace and life into you, even now, even if you've been a Christian, even if you should know what you're supposed to do, and you do the wrong thing, his grace and his mercy is still more than enough, and uh, just um, just to rely on that. And this, this um, story that we are talking about here in Mark, um, what I, I started thinking about the one in Matthew, because that's the one I'm, the version of the story I'm little bit more familiar with, and there's a little bit more detail um, to, to what it said. And, and so um, Jesus asked, 
um, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And so that's Jesus is referring to himself when it says the Son of Man. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So then he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And this is, this is the part where it, where it gets the most different. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jod, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. We are not able to come to that conclusion without God the Father revealing it to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it's that constant reliance on who God is and who and what Christ has done. Um, we wouldn't, you know, um, the Goldens wouldn't be able to have such peace if it wasn't for the grace of God revealing, revealing that to us. And so each of us on the stage and, and everyone here, it's what we rely on. We rely on God's goodness and grace in our lives. And uh, even if you read down the story of, of Matthew, so then it says Jesus began to tell plainly to the disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and that he would be killed on the third day. And then Peter takes him aside. Jesus, you can't say that anymore. That's not true. And then, <laughs> then, the, then, the, then the weirdest statement, well, I think, it says, get away from me, Satan. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just a couple verses ago, God is revealing, you know, the Father is revealing to Peter who he is. And yet, a little bit ago, Jesus is calling him Satan. And it's not that Peter was Satan, but, but um, Satan was using Peter to discourage Jesus from doing what God the Father had called him to do. And so, again, Peter is depending on the grace of God. And, and we know that even as uh, Jesus, later in the story, as Jesus was taken away to be crucified, Jesus even said, hey, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, nope, not going to do it. He's, he still did it three times. And God's grace is enough. And then he ended up leading the church. So it doesn't matter how far you've, you've gone, how far you've fallen. God's grace is enough. And I, I just, just I, want, I want all of you here this morning to just to know that that there's not, you haven't fallen too far. God's grace is always enough. Good. That's really good. You talked about Peter uh, in Matthew's account, Matthew 16, where uh, Jesus identifies to Peter. He said, God's revealed this to you. And, and just thinking about that, how God reveals himself to us again and again. And even as you've talked about that God being our Savior of, of that Christ being our Savior, that I think even for believers, that it's not a one-time application in our lives, that we need his continual grace of rescuing and saving us. And, and I'd imagine, maybe you guys can share this, you've had times where you've been, you've been serving Christ, you've been, uh, you could sincerely look at your life and say, I've been honoring Christ, I've been working to, to, to honor him and to live a life that's consistent with, with trusting him. But then in that journey, it's like all of a sudden a light bulb comes on and he shows a whole new area that he needs to save us from that we've kind of just not entrusted into his hands or not um, trusted with him. Have you guys had that, that, that type of work in your life where he's just revealed that? And uh, Go ahead. I was just going to agree, absolutely. And in, in th- those moments, and I think we see it in the lives of a lot of people, in those moments you say, well, I'm saved, and, and all of a sudden you could slip into that ministry of justification. Uh, well, God's grace has got that covered, and, and uh, so I, just, I totally can relate with that. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Kind of 
think of it like layers of an onion. There's, there's always deeper. Um, I was just praying with the worship team this morning that there's always more to God. There's always more that he can reveal to us. And so, therefore, there's always more that as God deals with certain layers on the outside of us, then there's deeper, deeper things that he can speak to us about. And it's just a process. It's a lifelong process, and there's always going to be things he's going to be revealing to us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, walking with him. There's, there's, going, to be, there's going to be more he's going to be speaking to us about. That's true. That's good. That's good. Well, I appreciate each one of you and just what you've shared. Um, I want to share what I have, but I'm going to hang on to that and just wrap us up with, with uh, just sharing how I feel like God's led me to answer that question. But I would encourage you guys to each think about how each of these four men have just what they've given us is that saying that, who do you say I am? I say he's my provider. Who do you say I am? I say that he's my peace. Who do you say I am? I say that he's my king. Who do you say that I am? I say that you're my savior. And that there is daily application in our lives just from those four alone. Just daily application of, of applying just those four, I think, can advance our walk with Christ in significant ways on just a daily basis, just in a transformational way and in a freeing way, uh, in a powerful way. So I just appreciate each of you just being transparent and, and just being open and sharing with how, um, how God really has been revealing himself to you to you in that. So I'd love to just share with you, just to conclude, to share with you out of Psalm 37. Why don't you guys give these men a hand um, as they slip back down. As I'd mentioned, this, this question that Jesus put to uh, his disciples and really puts to us, who do you say that I am? I think for me, the, the uh, piece that God has been bringing into my life just to be reminded of and to answer with is, is, is that I say that he is faithful. I say that he is faithful. And sometimes we'll look at one of his attributes or one of the, the ways that God demonstrates his, uh, just who he is into our lives. And a lot of times it'll come through a filter of what we've been experiencing, perhaps a challenge or a difficulty or a hardship or any number of things. And, and I think that that's completely appropriate to have that as a lens that, that highlights something new that you begin to recognize about your Heavenly Father that perhaps you've taken for granted or not really settled in to understand in a full new way. Um, because it, it just our filters change. But with this, when, when saying that he's faithful, it hasn't been because of going through any moments where that have necessarily highlighted that, but just rather, just that has been the theme that has continued to surface as I've been reading through the past scripture and just in my own devotions and in my own time with him. And one of my, uh, one of my probably favorite Psalms, in fact, I have it tabbed in my Bible. I have highlighted notes, dates, things all written around it is Psalms 37 is that Psalms 37 is probably one of my favorite psalms, if not my favorite psalm. And among the things, and it's a longer psalm, if you, if you look at it, it's 40 verses. But it's a longer psalm, and it, it just it speaks of the, just the ways that God has manifested his faithfulness in the life of the psalmist. It's just the way he's continued to reveal himself to David again and again. And uh, just so many things in Psalms 37 in verse 4, one translation that's in, in the NIV, it says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. One translation um, that I just love, it's the Passion Translation. It says, Feast on his faithfulness. It's just feast on his faithfulness, that he's faithful, that he's faithful. But as I was reading over this, this, this psalm this past, uh, I think this past week or so, I was thinking about this, this, who do you say that I am? Verse 18 stood out to me in a way that I had never really thought about it before. 
It says, the blameless spend their, day, their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. But it says, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. The blameless, that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's you. You're, if you're God's child, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've done as Pastor David, Pastor Kyle have talked about. You've made Jesus your Savior and Lord. You're blameless. You're blameless in God's sight. You've been made clean from sin. You've been made clean from your past. You're blameless. So it says, so this is speaking to every follower of Jesus Christ. It says the blameless, the children of God, spend their days under the Lord's care. And as I was thinking about that, spend their days under the Lord's care. And thinking about it in light of the holidays, we just have wrapped up Thanksgiving. We're moving into Christmas. We're wrapping up Thanksgiving weekend. Some of you may, may drive home today to be with family. Others might, with family returning, you're sitting and talking, you're at the office tomorrow. People might say, well, how did you spend Thanksgiving weekend? How did you spend your Thanksgiving holiday? How did you spend it? And you'll begin to fill in all the things you did. Well, I watched football. We ate turkey. We had so-and-so over. We went to someone's house. We drove here. We did, went there. We did the, put up our Christmas tree, any number of things. We talk about how we spent our day, what we filled it with. It's Psalm 37, 18, regarding God's faithfulness, says, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. That it says that everything that they do is under this canopy of God's care. A canopy of his faithfulness. In fact, two pictures come to mind as I, as I read that. The first one is exactly that, a canopy. That when we get our first heavy snowfall, everything will be blanketed or covered and canopied in snow. There won't be a place in State College that doesn't get touched by snow when the snowfall hits. And it says the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. Their, their days are blanketed in his faithfulness. That there's not a space or a moment or a place or a time that his faithfulness is not covering over you. And then the second way that, that the picture that comes to mind with that is that if it were a heavy downpour outside, that if you were to walk outside and you were to, had to spend the rest of your afternoon outside, that as the rain continues to come down, there's not a place or a moment that you're going to be that the, the rain isn't falling on you. You can do things that you can put on umbrellas you can, or put on raincoats, carry an umbrella, but the rain is still coming down. And it says that the, the blameless, the children of God, spend their days under the Lord's care. It says that every part of your life, every part of your day, every part of your family, every part of your moments, it's touched by his faithfulness. His faithfulness blankets over it. So your worries, his, blanket, his faithfulness blankets over it. Your spouse, his faithfulness blankets over it. Your, your cares, his faithfulness is there. Your good days, his faithfulness is there. Your bad days, his faithfulness is there. In every single moment of your life and of your day, his faithfulness is manifested in so many different ways. In fact, in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, it's the story of King David, and he's on the run, and his men of his men are talking about stringing him up. Their wives have been kidnapped, any number of things. He's just kind of having a bad day. And as he's having this bad day, his best friend's wanting to kill him. His wife's been taken, all these things. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 says this about David. Just one little thing he does. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And that's it. Doesn't say how, doesn't say what, doesn't say where. It just says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And you know what I think David did in that moment? And again, it doesn't tell us anything else beyond that. He strengthened himself in the Lord. It's that I think he tucked away somewhere 
and he, instead of centering his heart and his mind and his thoughts on everything that was happening around him or things that weren't happening and all that needed to take place, I think he went and he just began to recenter his heart and his mind around the faithfulness of God. He said, God, you see this, but boy, you've been faithful in that area in my life in the past. So God, you see what I'm facing? I don't have answers for here, but I can see how you've been faithful over here. But he just continued to recount the faithfulness of God until his mind was, was remembering that his life is blanketed in the faithfulness of God because he's faithful. And so in recent days, just as, as I am challenged with that question, like Jesus puts to every one of his followers, who do you say that I am? I say that he's faithful. And I would challenge you this morning, for each one that's here, that that same question comes to you this morning. Who do you say that I am? That Jesus puts that to you. Who do you say that I am? If you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that is the most important question that you can answer this morning. Who do you say that I am? In fact, until you answer that question with finality of putting Jesus first, that'll always be the question that continues to come up. But then for every other follower of Christ this morning, I believe he'd be asking you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am in your life, in your circumstances, in, in your family, in the matters that are on your heart this morning? So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to close in prayer. I want to pray, and then we'll close in just a moment. But Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we are so thankful that you're faithful. We thank you that you're our provider. We thank you that you give us peace. We thank you that you are our king. We thank you that you're our savior that there is not a moment or a place or a part of our lives that, that your grace does not touch. That even in moments when we lean away from you, you continually lean towards us. And I just thank you, God, for uh, your grace in this moment. I thank you for the things that the different pastors have already shared this morning. And I thank you for what you're speaking and sharing into hearts right now.